Hello and welcome everybody. I'd like to welcome you to that short lecture on resilience and its relevance for the management of a crisis. This topic highlights the strategy of the European Patient Safety Foundation to support healthcare professionals in doing their best job and by that improving patient safety. My name is Sven Stender, I'm an anesthesiologist and intensive care physician from Zurich, Switzerland. In parallel, I'm the current president of the European Patient Safety Foundation. In that short presentation, I will first talk about why we need resilience. I will then try a definition of resilience, next look at the core concepts and will finally cover the application of resilience principles in the light of a crisis. Today we have a wide variety of threats to safety in modern healthcare. Think about the production pressure with limited resources. Think about steadily raising demands for safety in society, the expectations of heroic treatments in sicker and sicker patients, the exponential growth in knowledge, and in parallel to that, the increase in specialization, leading again to a fragmentation of knowledge. And at the end, we have an increased feasibility, and by that success, leading to a reduction in risk awareness. The traditional response to these challenges has been to focus on standards and compliance. The result was a flute of local, national and international standards, guidelines and recommendations. In the United Kingdom, for example, we have more than 150 publishers of guidelines. There do exist 17 guidelines on how to write a guideline. Worldwide, in the year 2011, we had more than 2,300 guidelines from 285 organizations. In the year 2018, it has already been more than 6,400 guidelines. What is the problem with that approach? The problem is that the reality of the healthcare system is far too complex to be able to map and manage every situation. Of course, standards are needed for a common understanding of how the work should be done. But in exceptional situations at the latest, it becomes difficult because the respective standard may not be applicable to that particular situation. And that is the difference between theory and practice. That is the difference between the blunt end and the sharp end. And finally, that is the difference between what we call work as imagined or work as done. Today's healthcare system is characterized by complexity. Just think of the comorbidity our patients have, the complex drug therapy, the complex treatment regimens, the unpredictability in healthcare, and the fact that hospitals are complex organizations. And this complexity can be countered with standardization alone or the work as imagined approach only conditionally because work as imagined requires linear thinking. It requires systems that are well constructed and up to date. It requires procedures that are correct and cover all conditions. And finally, it requires that people act reliable and without performance variation. Furthermore, it has been realized that complex systems are only reliable because people are flexible and able to adjust. Moreover, it is now even believed that persisting in applying standards when circumstances demand a shift in response is considered an under-adaptation failure. With the work as done concept, it was acknowledged that people constantly adapt their actions to actual demands. People apply procedures to match the conditions. People can detect and correct when something goes wrong. 
And finally, complex systems are only reliable because these people are flexible and able to adjust. This takes us to the concept of resilience. Resilience is nothing new for us as healthcare workers. Even though the definition of resilience originally stems from the engineering sciences, we clinicians have always practiced resilience. So resilience is defined from an engineering point of view as the body's ability to withstand pressure and recover its initial structure after an alteration of its shape. Or according to Bergström, to cope with risky variability as a result of system complexity. Resilience happens as an adaptive capacity outside of the normal operation of complex systems. So every time when we have to deal with uncertainty, with threats, or with an internal or external crisis, we are challenged to keep the system running even when we do not have procedures, predefined protocols or standards available. So what are now aspects of resilience? How do you, do you recognize resilience? First of all, <clears throat> three temporal horizons can be distinguished. Before the critical situation, that would be preparation or anticipation. During the critical situation, which would correspond to adaptation. And finally, after the critical situation, management of the fallout of that crisis. In all these dimensions, resilient behavior is required, and in all these dimensions, that resilience helps. In addition to the temporal dimensions, there are three organizational levels at which resilience is applied. The individual, the team, and the organization. Individual clinicians can show resilience, teams can be resilient, and organizations can also be labeled as being resilient. <clears throat> on the level of individual behavior the level of, and the level of team performance, certain aspects can be distinguished that all are important for resilient performance. First, cohesion, meaning to behave in a way to keep up the coordination of individuals or teams, like for example valuing mutual respect between disciplines. Second, communication and challenge, again, to keep up team performance through good communication patterns like supporting speak up. Third, competence with the idea to share knowledge and experience to all involved team members. Fourth, capture which stands for the avoidance of blind spots through keeping up situational awareness. Fifth, cognition meaning to take time if the situation permits for decision making through fast and slow thinking. And last but not least, constraints keeping up an eye on resources. From a practical point of view, preparing, responding, anticipating, monitoring and learning are useful categories to perform resilient, either as an individual, a team or an organization. In the following, I will briefly explain these categories by what we have done in my hospital in Menedorf, Zurich during the first wave of the COVID-19 crisis. First, we created resources, mostly equipment and manpower through postponing non-urgent activities. You simply need time to organize that phase. Next, we empowered staff and delegated competencies to the frontline operators. For example, people had the competence to order equipment without the usual administrative burden. We then reassigned surgeons to our ICU and trained them quickly in order to help the ICU physicians dealing with COVID-19 patients. We created redundancy because dropout of people can easily occur in a crisis and we tried to support our staff as much as possible through organizing transport facilities, childcare resources or even nearby housing for late shifts. 
The second group of actions can be paraphrased as to respond. You constantly have to adapt pre-existing plans or processes as there is no routine during crisis. You have to keep up interprofessional teamwork in order to create resources and redundancy. You must take care of the needs of your staff in relation to their psychological and social needs as well as their need for information. For this purpose, we had a team of psychologists on duty who were ready to talk about difficult clinical situations with staff if needed. We daily sent out information leaflets and we closely followed the temporary and the reassigned staff working on our ICU. <clears throat> Anticipation means to try to always stay ahead of the development of that crisis. Constantly ask yourself what might be the next problems to solve and try to work in scenarios. Anticipate problems with supply in all aspects of your equipment and anticipate that in parallel to typical COVID-19 patients, all other patients might also pop up on your ICU as well. And you must keep an eye on avoiding diagnostic error through, for example, availability bias. Close to anticipation is the need for monitoring. You must keep an eye on the course of the crisis. You must keep an eye on the individual and team resources, the stress level, and of course, on the stock and replenishment of equipment. Last but not least, you must put a focus on learning. We encouraged our staff to use the electronic platform of our instant reporting system to also report success and positive experience of that crisis. In leadership positions, you are well advised to perform regular walkarounds to learn what is going on. It also keeps you in regular contact with your frontline staff. Perform debriefings and connect with other hospitals in order to learn from their experience. At the end of a crisis, adopt your procedures to the lessons learned and honor the dedication and commitment of your staff. So to conclude, resilient behavior is mandatory when dealing with complexity. In a crisis, the ability to perform resilient is crucial as an individual, but also as an organization. The core aspects of resilience in a crisis are to prepare, to respond, to anticipate, to monitor and to learn. And please do not forget to celebrate success with your patients, but also with your staff. And with um, that very nice example of resilience, I would like to thank you very much for your attention.